Hello, everybody. Welcome to Two Guys Five Movies. This is one of your co-hosts, Chris Gasper. This is Frank Pelican. Tonight's episode is episode 89, and we are covering the top five 80s action movies. Um, Frank, you were just saying before we got on here that you thought that um, I read it as like this being a mistake, but uh, maybe that's not what you meant. But basically that the category is too large, you think? Oh, no, I thought it was a fun category. I just felt I felt like watching these movies and thinking about it, that each of them could have been on a completely different list than this and it still would have been appropriate. Whereas like with like horror movies or even if you like drill down deeper, like spy movies or police procedurals or whatever, like, you know, you can get more specific, like whatever, more granular with like what those movies are. But I felt that while all five of these movies kind of fit this action category, they also each could have been like slotted into other top fives and they would have been appropriate so it wasn't like a complaint or a criticism it was just i thought it was interesting i mean they really are like five incredibly different movies too they are yeah absolutely well right i mean probably you know you separate out all these movies you could have gotten blood sport on the list or something like that like right somehow. i mean well that's one of the reasons why i put these movies on there because i felt like it was more interesting to talk about five movies that were completely different that I liked a lot. I mean, there was some stuff that didn't make the list that I came really close. Um, like I thought about Escape from New York and um, I thought about Road Warrior and both of them felt like they were better suited to other lists. And then Raiders, Raiders of the Lost Ark and, um, you know, all the Indiana Jones movies. Um, well, I guess Last Crusade is 90, right? Is that right? No, it's 89. Okay, well then there you go. See, all three of them could have made it. There's stuff like Missing in Action and First Blood Part 2. And um, mm-hmm. I really strongly considered Batman for the list because right. Batman's one of my favorite 80s movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and then stuff like The Killer, but we'd already talked about The Killer. So right. I don't know. It was, um, it's like so when I was watching some of them, I felt like, well, maybe we should have done top 80s like action thrillers and maybe top 80s like action adventure because right. to me those are different enough and i think then action sci-fi we could have gotten um right yeah. on the list and terminator alien and then escape from new york right yeah. right yeah they all could have been fit on you running, running man that's mm-hmm. cool i don't want to um, talk about what what, is, what do i not want to talk about i say you just don't want to talk about road warrior that's cool yeah well, um, you're, you're going to punish me on that those someday. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know if it didn't make this. Actually, list. I like Road Warrior. Like I, I, I like the other two much better than I do the first one. Well, the second one's a lot more campy. Yeah, a lot more um fun, I guess, with the humongous and whatever riding across the desert. Right. Um. Yeah, yeah Running Man. I don't know. I think you'd have to pick one Schwarzenegger and stick with it. Like I don't know that you can um. I think you can have the same actor on the list multiple times. Although I, I guess Running Man's a joke because Running Man's is like really not a very good movie when you go back and look at it. Like it's fun. fun. It's fun. Right. It's fun. It would definitely be a nostalgia pick. Yeah, like a hundred percent. But I, I think will, I, have, I, have a lot to, I got a lot to say about Running Man someday. So, like a really great relic of the nineteen eighties. Like, there's one movie on this list that to me is super 1980s like it just feels like 
I don't know. It just it, like everything about it like oozes the blood of Miami Vice, maybe or something. I don't even know. Yeah. How else I, I mean, like, I think everything except for your number one movie, like feels like it could still be now, um, to some degree. Like more recent. I think everything yeah. else like feels like so eighties. Like watching it. Um. See, I I don't know. I think. I mean, in, in tonally, yeah, maybe, and like in the way they're directed, but I think that any of these movies could have been made today and still been relevant, mm-hmm. except for the first one because it's so very specific to right. like sure the events that it's whatever portraying and yeah, I just mean the way that they're like film, like the acting style, like the tropes that kind of go into yeah. some of them, like all that kind of stuff. Is so I mean, the number one movie feels like it was made in the seventies. Like it does not feel like an eighties movie when you watch it. Yeah, no, I think that's why it's cl- like that's. I think that's why it's classic. It's because it, it feels like in the seventies. It was actually oh, I, made in the eighties, and I, it could be made today. Oh, I'm gonna spoil some shit. <laughs> um, the number two and three movies, I feel like they just feel like they're directors. Like you can feel the, the fingerprints of their directors all over them. So to me, it's just because those directors made so much in that time period, maybe. Yeah. That's why it feels like it. I mean, the fourth and fifth movie are a hundred percent. Like they just ooze the 1980s out of every pore. Yeah, so. absolutely. Yeah. Um, you mentioned uh, Last Crusade. Um, we lost uh, Sean Connery um, over the weekend, um, age 90. Um, yeah. You have anything you want to say about him? Connery's one of those guys that I think you appreciate more as a cultural icon than an actual actor, maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, like, I really like him. I mean, he's obviously, like, he's Bond more yeah. than anyone else. Um and in some of the better Bond movies, like, uh, you know, Goldfinger, Dr. No, From Russia With Love, like, you know, the really good, like, early Bond movies. Um, I have a really strong affinity for Connery from when I was a little kid. Um, I used to watch Darby O'Gill and the Little People all the time, and it scared the shit out of me. Mm-hmm. And uh, Sean Connery is Darby O'Gill. Um, that movie's freaking terrifying, though, in Disney, man. Like, always getting it with their, like, children's ghost movies. Um, but a guy who was in a bunch of, you know, like, always, I guess, kind of elevated maybe what would have been less than memorable roles. Um, one of my favorite schlocky 70s sci-fi in Zardoz um, that he's really memorable in. Um, you know, he's in The Man Who Would Be King, which is a good role for him. Um Time Bandits, which is one of your favorite movies. Um, that's a joke. That's not one of your favorite movies. No, it's uh, but it's it's also like not whatever. It's it's not accurate. <laughs> Just because I don't like it as much as you and oh, like uh, doesn't mean I, I feel like anytime this, right. I feel like anytime somebody doesn't like something as much as me, it's a direct attack, right, on me personally. So I gotta like get my digs in where I can. Um, I like him in the Highlander movies. I think he's good in Humper Red October. It's just one of those. It's weird because like it's almost like Harrison Ford in a way, where here's a guy that you feel like was such an indelible part of your like childhood. Yeah. And then you look back over the past couple of decades and you're just like, eh, 
I mean, yeah. we were we were just talking about it off air. Like Connery hasn't been in a feature film since 2003's um, *League of Extraordinary Gentlemen*, which I actually I like that movie despite its flaws. Like I think it's super ambitious, and I like the concept of it a lot. Like the superhero group made up of um, you know, myths and fables, basically. Right. Um, but it was like critically panned, you know, and I think that he just never felt like acting. So the man that gave us you, the man now, dog, right. rides gracefully into the sunset. Yeah, yeah. It's going going over his filmography. It was a little, um, I was a little taken aback by like how, like after Bond, like how few things that I like really like in terms of movies. Even though I think he's good in a lot of things. Um, yeah. Like I was saying off air, it's like you know, like things I grew up with in the eighties, like. Uh, the Presidio and Untouchables and Name of the Rose and like all these movies that like in the 80s that he was like he's good in all those movies um it's just that like you know the quality of the film itself is um right varies um it makes you think that he was consistently trying to just not be James Bond again and really like his last like I would say great role is um in The Rock you know well which is fascinating because i mean what is that but like a slightly edgier james bond oh like that's older james that's, bond you know that's I mean, james james bond who like got thrown in jail mm-hmm. at the end of the 60s as opposed to like right changing his face and whatever continuing to whatever james bond does spy on people i guess and murder them and, right you know, it's um, not a good movie that i just skipped over when i was going through his filmography um just forever oh Oh. Do you remember Just Calls? I'm trying to remember it. It sounds familiar. It takes place um, in like the Florida, like um, glades and shit like that. And Lawrence Fishburne's in it. He's a um, professor that's like opposed to capital punishment, and he goes down to I've try to get Blair Underwood, like you know, uh, like overturned or something like that. I've never um, seen it. Yeah. I saw in the theater for some reason. I think it was Bledsoe and I saw in the theater. And um, it was not a good movie. Not a good movie. There was... I, I can see that. Because you have Connery of Fishburne. Like, it's... um, it's a, it's a good cast. I mean... Ed Harris is in it. Ed Harris, yeah. Ed Harris in it. So, yeah, yeah. Young Scarlett Johansson, which I don't remember, but I'm just looking at it now. And... Yeah, it's not something that... I thought, I'd never, time, I, thought I, would, I'd, I thought I'd never seen her before Ghost World, but I guess not. Yeah, it's something that I don't know at the time I would have cared to see. This is when I was going and watching like as much art house shit as I could right. during this time. So, Yeah, this is when we were going to the theater like every week and just like getting dropped off on Fridays and going to see whatever was out. You know what? I'm going to do something. Uh, what's that? Well, you can keep talking. I'm going to look up um, what came out the same month as this to see what I would have been watching at the same time. Mm. Oh, it was 95. Okay. Oh, The Quick and the Dead, the Brady Bunch movie. That's what I was watching. Really? Oh, yeah. I had to see the Brady Bunch movie twice because I had to pretend like I hadn't seen it. <laughs> So you be like, oh, I, really, I really enjoy the Brady Bunch movie. I also enjoyed a very, very, a very Brady sequel too. Like, funny, they're they're funny movies. I mean, 
Gary Cole, like, really, to me, like, I mean, all everybody's, like, good at them, but it's, like, Gary Cole really makes those uh, um, uh, for me. And um, and then what's – that's the second one that um, – what's his name is in, right? Um, oh, my God. So, Matheson. Rumble in the Bronx was in the theaters. Yeah, I saw that. That would have been, like, January, right? Yeah, it was the week before. Mm-hmm. Then Billy Madison and Quick and the Dead, both of which I saw. Brady Bunch Quick and the Dead. What's that? I didn't see Quick and the Dead. I saw Billy Madison in the theater when it came out that weekend. Outbreak was the first week of March. Yeah, I saw that. I can't believe there was nothing else. I don't know. Anyway. Yeah. Um, There's a lot of reasons why I never see Just Cause, I guess. Yeah, well. that's interesting. It's just one of those things I would just take for granted that you saw and were like, eh, shit. But That was right, right well, before I started working for the movie theater, too. Hmm, interesting. All right, well, yes, um, we will be talking more about Sean Connery next year at some point because we have a... Uh, top five Bond movies episode um, on the schedule for 2021. So I'm assuming we'll be talking about Sean Connery. Yeah, he'll um, be in two or three of those. Right. So um, we'll we'll come, back, come back to him then. But um, yeah, good long life on him though. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So you want to jump into these movies? Yep. All right. So number five on your list this week of the top five 80s action movies is... Commando from 1985 is directed by Mark L. Lester. It stars Arnold Schwarzenegger, Radon Chong, Don Hayda, Vernon Wells, Alyssa Milano, and Bill Duke. Has a 71% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes, a 67% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the plot of this movie and why you put it on the list? Yeah, so to me, this is the quintessential big dumb. <laughs> action movie of the 80s like it's and i i probably rented this movie probably like seven or eight times when i was a kid um just because like some of the set pieces are so i don't know iconic to me Mm -hmm. um schwarzenegger plays john matrix uh he's this former special services um, commando basically um, who's in he finds out that his entire unit has been murdered and he's the last one left um, his mountain home gets invaded and his daughter played by Alyssa Milano gets kidnapped um, then he gets taken to um, in front of this dictator who basically tells him that they need him to go and assassinate um what is it, the president of this South American, fictional South American country, they're going to murder his daughter? Yeah, um, that movie, that, that, name, that name pops up in tons of um, movies, too, like the name of that country. Like, Valverde? Yeah. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that's, uh, maybe Chuck uses that TV show? I think you're right. Yeah, I think that is exactly. I think it's one where Amar, Amar, Armand Arsenti is, like, in a couple episodes, and I think that's that country. So, Commando, Die Hard 2, uh, yeah. um, Predator, maybe, uh, 
bunch of TV shows, NCIS. Hmm. Yeah, that's funny. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so Matrix, you know, is obviously not going to go murder um, some rightfully elected president. So he basically pretends to get on the plane, doubles back, kills the people tracking him, and then takes down this entire criminal organization um, on the strength of just the fact that he's Arnold Schwarzenegger and he's a commando. Right. Um, I mean, it's there's a scene towards the end of the movie where he what would you call that? Like assails their island, basically, mm-hmm. like as a yeah. one man strike well, force. Well, yeah, one man army, man. Like and takes out the entire island. It, the entire island, like hundreds of dudes, right? And in various ways, flamethrowers and rocket launchers, machine guns, and hand to hand combat, and knives, and just any way that you can murder someone. John Matrix is murdering them in this movie. Yes. Um, and leads up to the ultimate fight against a man who was kind of his sort of maybe close to being like his equal in the strike force, but he gotten kicked out because he was too violent. And so that's like the ultimate fight. So in a lot of ways, it, it really sets the tone for like what those action movies were. And there was a lot of guys like Chuck Norris and um, I don't know. Not Steven Seagal, really, but like Stallone's in some movies that are like this, Schwarzenegger's in several that are like this. Norris, probably more than anybody's in a lot of movies that kind of have the same plot. Um, you know, but this is a really good example of how it can be done well. And it goes all over the place and it's got a bunch of action sequences in different places. It's got some really good, like, humorous scenes in it, too, um, particularly. Arnold Schwarzenegger murdering some dudes like in the middle of a porn shoot, kind of like accidentally. Um, some really good character actors in it too. Like, what is the dude's name who plays the little Weasley? Uh, um, henchman that he ends up throwing off the side of a cliff. Uh, that, that is um, David Patrick Kelly. Yes, right. Who um, ends up who ends up being Jerry Horn in uh, Twin Peaks? Yeah, just a amazing, you know, like the Warriors come out and play dude from, yeah, uh-huh. you know, like just an amazing like villain character actor. And then Dan Hedaya is really good in it. Mm-hmm. Bill Dukes like got a good role. Ray Dong Chong in maybe like her best role, which I don't know if that's saying much. Um, Schwarzenegger is Schwarzenegger. Um, but yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's a really fun movie. Yeah, um, David Patrick Kelly is actually, I've been seeing him a lot in the past, uh, or he's like crossed my mind a, pe- a lot um, in the past like year, it seems, because he was in Crooklyn um, uh, that we talked about um, like a year, year ago or so um, on, a third, on the Spike Lee podcast. Um, uh, he was in Dreamscape, which I watched again in the past year or so. Um, he's the yeah. villain in that. Always and that. Right, yes. Um, Ford Fairlane came up recently somehow, and he's in Ford Fairlane. Oh, um, man, I'd forgotten about, yeah. And then, um, what, we I were, talking about, we were talking about flirting with disaster a couple weeks ago, and, and he's in that. 
Um, I think I made the claim that Ford Fairlane is the only kind of movie you or that it's it has to be one of your favorite movies or something. I yeah, something along those lines. But like, he's been, you in a derogatory manner. But he's just been popped up in like a lot of things, and then it's like I'm you know watching Twin Peaks again and yeah, and um. So yeah, but he's he's a great actor. Like he's really he's 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 really solid and like he has he's limited but he's solid. Yeah. Um and he does that again here well just being like a fucking little unctuous dick and right he, and like he, outlasting Schwarzenegger for right. What the better part of like 25 minutes like he yeah. gets away from that dude. Sure. Yeah. Even though Schwarzenegger's doing his level best to murder him. Right. Like he just keeps getting away and right. just trying to like have sex with women the whole time. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Like never stops, like trying to like f you know. Yeah, the 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 eighties is filled with all these type of characters, like David Patrick Kelly, Bill Duke is in this movie. Um, right. like you know, uh, I fucking love Bill Duke. Um, the guy from uh over the or um No Holds Barred that plays um the oily like evil TV exec. I can't remember his name, but he's a villain in a bunch of stuff. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'll, it'll come to me. Um, yeah, he plays Woody on um, Psych. Um, is the most recent thing that he's like well known for. But um, uh, yeah, like him, like I mean, uh, Don Hayda, like you know, like pops up in a lot of movies. He just you know popped up. What was it in Scarface? Right? Is that what he was in? No, 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 no. he just popped up in um, no, Mulholland Drive. Um, he had a he had a role in um that we talked about recently. Isn't um, he in the number? Four movie too. Uh, does he have a small role in there? I don't think he does. No. Um, John Turturro is in it. Um, but uh, yeah, like I, hmm. there's something else that he that he's in though too, like in the '80s, like him. Like I'm trying to think of what it is. It's like another. Um, Buckaroo Banzai, Blood Simple. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, uh, scared. but I mean, I think that's one of the things that we're going to see is like, especially when we get to like the number three movie and the number two movie, like there's all these like great right. actors that like are in smaller roles that pop up a lot in the 80s and stuff like that. I mean, what's his name from um, Breaking Bad that played um, uh, the heavy, like he was always a heavy in the 80s. He's in Beverly Hills Cop. Um, the hell? He's in... Better call Saul too now, like the old guy. Um, I can't remember his name off the top of my head. Like Walter's foil, like Walt, Walter White's foil. Um, that works. No, but Mike, 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 Ar- Mike Ar- 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 Yeah, 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 that guy. Like um, Jonathan something. Jonathan. Um, Thanks. Yes, like, good job. Um, yeah, like Jonathan Banks pops up in tons of shit in the eighties. Like, yeah, you know, exactly. Which is where, which is what he's known for, you know? Um, uh, like, right. So, even, so, and even when Jonathan Banks plays a good guy in the 80s, Jonathan Banks is still an asshole. Right. Yes. Yes. Um, no, it's like, it's almost like it took all those years to kind of perfect uh, Irma Trout, you know? Like, I mean, and like, just make that come to life, like, in such right. a, you know, excellent way. But it's like, I, I think that's one of the things we're going to see throughout all this list is all these character actors that are like, you know, like just knocking it out of the park in these minor roles. And I think like the same thing. I think that's the liveliness of this movie more than anything is the the character actors. Agreed. Um, and, uh, but let me ask you this about this movie. Um, 
Do you think that this movie is self-aware enough to recognize the homoeroticism, um, especially between the um, Vernon Wells character, like his old friend from the unit, and 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 the Matrix character, and especially in that final like twenty minutes? I mean, yes, I think. I don't think it shies away from the fact that. There's a lot of people that might like to see Arnold Schwarzenegger naked and oiled up and doing stuff with people. Well, no, I'm just talking about, I mean, I mean, between those two characters, like, if you, like, listen to the damn dialogue and then, like, look at the things that are happening, like, it's really homoerotic. <clears throat> yeah, I don't know if I remember getting that. I remember thinking a lot of times that, like, damn, like, this is definitely being filmed to... Like with with Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger's physique clearly in mind. I wish and I would have so down some of the dialogue here because yeah, I don't remember it though. There, there's stuff about like um. Okay, so here. Okay, so um. I'm reading here. All right, Matrix says, "Come on, let the girl go. It's between you and me. Don't deprive yourself of some pleasure. Come on, Bennett, let's party." Bennett says, "I can beat you. I don't need the girl. I don't need the girl. I don't need the gun. I can beat you." Blah blah. Um, you know, they fight. He slashes open um, uh, Matrix's abdomen. You're getting old, John. You're getting old. They continue to fight with knives. By the way. Um, <clears throat> And then, John, I feel good, just like the old times. Uh, what does it feel like to be a dying man, et cetera, et cetera? I'm going to shoot you between the eyes. I'm going to shoot you between the balls. Um, and then it's like there's the whole fucking thing of him getting impaled with that steam pipe, like, you know, and yeah. like, like, and then the smoke shooting out, like in the boiler room. Like, I, it, is, it is super homoerotic, dude. And it's like, yeah, but isn't, have, isn't, isn't that have like, to know. that's tongue in cheek, yeah. right? Well, yeah, yeah, I'd say so. I mean, Schwarzenegger's not a dumb dude. Like, he knows. Like, he has to know. Like, that's what's going on here. I mean, I'm cool not thinking about that part. <laughs> Brandy and I watched it, and it was like, I was, like, sitting there, like, the entire time, just, like, kind of, like, chuckling to myself. And it was like, do you, do you see, like, how, like, like, homoerotic this is? And she was like, not really and then it's like the worst the farther it got into the fight and she's like oh yeah like it's it becomes really obvious with like some of the stuff in the boiler room like in terms of the visual symbolism and stuff i mean i didn't get it when i was a kid and i was watching it i didn't either i didn't as either. an adult with the same eyes that i would watch it as mm -hmm. not the same and that's impossible but like it was i was as entertained yeah I'll, so I'll I was honest, really it thinking actually made like, me it actually made me enjoy it more, I think. Um <laughs> being able to laugh at that because yeah. after a while just seeing people get killed like over and over is not as enjoyable. Like I guess, but that's what you're there for, you know. Do you know um The Muffin Man? He lives on Drury. What's his name? Um that Vernon Wells that played Bennett. Um that was not the original casting. Did you read about this? No, who was it supposed to be? Okay, so it is um, Kohlhauser, I think it was. Mm. I think that's right. Um, mm. 
Kohlhauser's in enough in the 1980s. So did you notice like how tight fitting um, like the clothes are on Bennett, like in that movie? Yeah, he like, seems how, like how he's how, yeah. too, too fat for his chainmail shirt. Right. Well, what, what happened? No, 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 not Kohlhauser. Wingshauser. Wingshauser. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, same thing. Right, right. Um, I knew you meant. Yeah. But um, so uh, that was Wingshauser's outfit because he basically got fired after the first day of shooting. Um, and then they like called in Vernon Wells to take over this role. And they didn't make new clothes for him. They just gave him the same clothes, which mm. is why he like looks so like not intimidating at all, like in that outfit. Like, um, which I was again one of the funnier parts of me watching it. I had a really good time watching this movie. I thought it was I actually fun. thought so I didn't know that. And to me, I thought the intent was here's this like guy that used to be this giant badass that still is like more of a badass than most people, Mm -hmm. but he's kind of let himself like fall into excess and he's too like poor and trashy to like buy new clothes. So he's just kind of this like gross, sweaty, but still lethal dude. That's just kind of glomming off of this, you know, multi-billionaire dictator does that make sense no it makes perfect sense like i think that's how i took it like to some degree as a when i was younger like i mean that's just how i like rationalize it all but like reading about it and like knowing that it's really just too tight because of like a supposed to be a wings houser right right Um, yeah i always thought of him as like a dreadnought like from gi joe hmm. like just a swarthy gross pirate or like kano from mortal Kombat, you know like the same thing i don't know. yeah um yeah i don't know what else to say about this movie it's it's so over the top um but yeah. it is it's extremely indicative of the 80s though and it's um one of the earliest examples i guess of schwarzenegger's like that move towards the one-liner right yeah i don't like, know what else probably this is the thing that kind of propelled him, I mean, to just sort of be in that that stereotype. Yeah. Yeah, because he had, what, Terminator, right? And, you know, like that one line, kind of, and then, like, this is where it just goes over. Predator. Yeah, that's after this, right? Mm, yeah. It's like, yeah, it's two years after this, I think. Um, so it's like, I think this is the first one where it's like all those one-liners become like a thing um let off some steam or whatever and all that kind of stuff um my memories of this movie growing up are this movie traumatized me and i can't remember if i talked about this to you privately like or if i talked about in the podcast but the bill duke scene where he's killed um where it's like he gets impaled um a lot of look at that a lot of impaling in this fucking movie too um and um he gets impaled there's something about the way like blood like runs out of his mouth um Mm. that like really affected me as a kid to where it's like that image has been burned in my brain my entire life i can Um, see that that makes sense and 
um so yeah so they're like i I remember that um like that's the one image i like i'll like I, i've always held from this movie like is, is that one um but yeah i'm trying to think what else i had to say about this movie i don't think i have anything else it's a fun movie it is yeah there's a lot of talking for the number five movie but it was but um well we also talk about other things that didn't True. relate um, you do know about the sequel to this, right? Have I told you about this? I don't know. So they wrote a sequel for John Matrix um, that uh, it was supposed to be the John Matrix character, Schwarzenegger playing him. Um, and it was supposed to be shit with like his daughter and his wife was suddenly going to like, you know, like, or something was going to be involved in some way or some shit. Like, and, um, he was supposed to go visit and it's what ended up happening is when Schwarzenegger didn't want to do it, it got, you know, slowly like changed over a couple of years and um, John Matrix became John McClane and mm-hmm. it basically became Die Hard. Um, <clears throat> but it was originally a John Matrix sequel um, to Commando was what Die Hard was originally. Great. Worked it mm-hmm. in, right? Right. <laughs> Real uh, exciting, exciting fact. Yeah, mm. yeah. Noticeable that it's not on this list, but um, <clears throat> has it ever Die been on the list? Die Hard? No, it's never yeah, been. On right, the list. No. right. Weird. <laughs> um. Okay. Number four on the list, since obviously you don't want to talk about Commando anymore. Number four on the list is To Live and Die in L.A., also from 1985. It is directed by William Friedkin. It stars. William Peterson, Willem Dafoe, John Pankow, and Josh Turturro has a 91% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and a 78% from audiences. What you know what? I got, Dean, I got Dean Stockwell and Dan Hedaya confused. Mm. To me, they're the same person. Thanks, Cena. Um, yeah, so this is a Kind of a buddy cop movie, although I don't know if anyone's really buddies with anyone else in this yeah, movie. There's no buddies. Um, Peterson plays like a really despicable Secret Service agent who's willing to go to any lengths to take down this counterfeiter played by Willem Dafoe. Um, Peterson's partner, who's on the verge of retirement, gets killed. By Defoe. Um, so Peterson gets a new partner and then kind of draws him into his web of extra legal means to whatever, um, apprehend criminals. Um, Defoe is fantastic in it, uh, really like the best performance in the whole movie, um, with the right amount of like menace mixed with, um, almost like cultural elitism like he's very sadistic while still being somewhat charming um it's a really good role uh i like peterson a lot in this movie um nutty i can i can take or leave william peterson most of the time but in this movie i think that he's kind of just like this just ratty little fuck who's like willing to put anyone's life in jeopardy just to basically prove his point um some really good action sequences one of the most ridiculous car chase sequences in like any movie ever 
like maybe second only to the car chase sequence in Ronin. Um, just in terms of like it's the length of time it goes on, the amount of like public welfare that's put in danger by people that are supposed to be members of law enforcement, right. and just the fact that they're able to get away. Um, pretty dour ending. Um, really surprised the first time you see it, I think, when William Peterson dies. Um, and then when, um, what's his name in the movie? Jank, Jankowick or something? Um, when the new partner, uh, kind of adopts v- his method. V- Vukovic or something? Yeah, v- Vukovic, that's it. Yeah. Um, when Vukovic adopts his methods and there's a subplot where Peterson is blackmailing the stripper who has committed some sort of offense that he's holding over her head because he's going to, like, um, basically, like, bust her parole if she doesn't cooperate. So he uses her to get information about the underworld and also just to have sex. So he's basically keeping her as, like, a stool pigeon sex slave, which mm-hmm. is kind of disgusting for a mm-hmm. supposed antagonist or protagonist to do. But I don't know that necessarily... Um, uh, Chance is a protagonist. I think he's an anti-hero at best, and I think in a lot of ways he's the actual villain of this movie. Because in the long run, who's Willem Dafoe hurting, for the most part, with his counterfeiting? You know what I mean? Like, it's not like he's even... I guess he does hurt a number of people because he kills them, but... Yes. If he would have been left alone, he wouldn't be killing anybody. <laughs> oh, um, him and John Turturro. John Turturro is really fantastic in this. Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, Kind of the precursor to... um. The Benny character in Miller's mm-hmm. Crossing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Just in the way he behaves and the way he carries himself and speaks. Um, but yeah, I really enjoy this movie. Uh, it's a movie that I saw when I was younger and really liked a lot. And then um, I've seen it a couple times, I guess, since then, including this time. Um, but I'm always really struck by just like Friedkin. I don't know Friedkin. Friedkin just makes this movie feel like the 1980s, like from the clothes to the Wang Chung soundtrack to just the way that it looks and feels like everything about it just feels like the 1980s. Um, and I, know, I think it's a fun movie. Maybe a little long, but enjoyable. That's all I got. Yeah, it's a little bit long. I, that didn't bother me so much. I, I just don't I don't know. Like, I don't like William Peterson. That's my biggest problem with this movie. I think I was drunkenly saying that like last night or something. Like, I'm just not yeah. a, I'm just not a fan of William Peterson. Like overall, like I'm not a fan of his work when he's older on CSI that much. Like, it feels really kind of just honed in a lot of times. I'm not a fan of his work when he's younger. Like, I just don't like the guy that much. I never find him very believable. You don't um, like him in Man in Manhunter? Nah. Um, I just don't like him. It's like I can like movies that he's in, I can like things that he like that he's in, but it's like I don't really care for him ever. And there's something about this character that's just so off-putting. Like, you're right. It's almost like I want to see Defoe get away. Um, like it's almost like I root for Defoe more than I in this movie, the Masters character or whatever, more than I do for um 
And so, yeah, so that that's difficult for me. In terms of like the movie itself, I mean, it's it's really well filmed. Um, I mean, it's I think it's obvious he's trying to kind of like emulate like some sort of Miami Vice like atmosphere. You think, right? Like kind of neon and like the the haziness at times and all those kind of things. I mean, like that's what he's trying to emulate, right? Isn't like this a, kind of like, like a West Coast version? With... When is Miami Vice? I have no idea. The year before it's this around movie? this time, right? Like mid eighties. Uh, yeah, I think eighty four maybe is when it starts. Yeah, so it probably would have been filmed around the same time. So September eighty four is when Miami Vice comes out. Um, and then this movie is. Uh, production principal photography it doesn't tell me the times um but yeah i mean we can guess it premiered in november of 85 so yeah so it my advice might have been out by this point um i mean i think it's just free can be like yeah i think that he's really fascinated with characters that aren't easy to pigeonhole you know is um like being good or bad like that have some duality to them um because if you look at it like Bukovic is like super weak compared to a um chance right for most of the movie even though you would say that like arguably like he's the actual hero of the movie um you know his chances out it's it's kind of like the dirty Harry um principle in a lot of ways like what we were talking about recently about you know that Clint Eastwood character in the sense that like it's really just the template for what we kind of what horrifies us in the modern world which is people who think that like law enforcement should be above the law and like people who break the law don't have any rights and deserve to be murdered just for like committing a crime yeah, I mean so ultimately until you don't really get the impression that it's, that Masters is like murdering anybody until. Right. I mean, he obviously murders Chance's partner, but Chance doesn't even know that necessarily that it was him. Just that it happened while you know his shit was being investigated. So I don't. Know. I think that's really interesting to bring that up because we just talked about this in the movies that didn't age well podcast with that type of character when we talked about Dirty Harry and, um, it's like. That movie was like extremely well designed in terms of having a psychopath be the villain that is hurting people. And there's something that makes as fucked up as all of it is, obviously. And like he's putting himself above the law. Like, you know, Harry is um, likable in some ways, at least in the sense of like, you know, you believe that he's duty bound, like, you know, that he believes he believes he's right. Um, where this character, it's much harder to watch this character do this sure. first, you know, and it's, um, and there's, there's something about him. It's not about like duty necessarily. It's, I guess it's cause it's about revenge. Right. It's a hundred percent just revenge at that point. Yeah. Revenge at any cost, basically. Right. Right. And using his own station to be able to do that. Um, right. so yeah, I mean, so they, they murder. Yeah. An undercover officer. Right. 
Right. Or they, they cause an undercover officer yeah, to yeah, get sure. murdered. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's interesting because this is a movie that I, I and I, I do like, I, I liked it, um, despite the Peterson, like, oh. stuff, but, um, it's a movie I should, I feel like I should like more, but I don't know why I don't like it more. Like, it feels like it's, like, something that's just, like, right up my alley, but, like, yeah. there's just something about it that, like, keeps me distance from it in some ways, um, and I don't know what that is, but. Yeah, I'm really surprised you don't enjoy it more because it does feel like your type of movie. And I think there's a lot of similarities between it and French Connection. Uh, there is. Well, you know, French Connect- sure, absolutely. But uh, I would also say that it's like, you know, you have, um, you know, a great A actor, like, you know, playing a character of deep complexity um in french connection that keeps it moving from one scene to another and you're actually like involved with that character where i'm not sure if you are as much with this one but sure um and maybe and maybe that really is the thing it's just my like my my little thing peterson that like keeps me from like engaging with this more but um but it's a good movie um i wish they'd cast somebody else but um at some point, I'm going to have to look up his filmography and like see what's going on there. William Peterson? Yeah. It ain't no good. I know, right? Um, oh, shit. I didn't know he played Pat Garrett in Young Guns 2. Huh. Uh-huh. I haven't seen that movie since uh, it came out on video. You can't picture not. those watery eyes? I cannot, no. Yeah. I liked it when I was a kid. But... Right? I didn't want to bring it up because, like, I don't know, he's... So unappealing in that movie, but right. Um, I do want to say that uh, Darlan, I don't know how to pronounce her name, Flugel, um, who plays the kind of uh, stripper in uh, the stripper, the informant in this movie. Yeah. Um, I was always like pretty surprised, like that she didn't at least pop up more in the eighties. Um, I know her from she. She had a small role like as a. Uh, Noodle's girlfriend um, in um, uh, Once Upon a Time in America. Uh-huh. Um, and then she's uh, Billy Crystal's ex-wife in Running Scared. And she's in a couple other things in the 80s that like I remember her from. And I was really surprised that like she's not somebody who didn't do at least a little bit more. Um, and when I went ahead and started looking into her like her career really goes downhill and like pretty quickly like to where it's like oh tough guys was the other thing that she was in um the burt lancaster Kirk douglas movie from the late 80s i watched when i was a kid a lot um it was always on like cinemax or something but then like quickly she's in like you know just downhill and then in 92 she's in pet cemetery 2 and then it just keeps going down even further um to where it's like her last role was 1996 in Dark Man 3. Um, oh, I did look her up last night, right. <laughs> and um, she had a pretty pivotal role in like a season of Wise Guy, like, you know, and stuff like that, like in 90. But it's like she really goes downhill and she ended up like dying, like, um, uh, 
from early onset Alzheimer's. Um, really? In yeah, in uh, just a few years ago. Um, but she just like kind of like left acting, um, and then and then she just died a few years ago, like at like fifty six. Pretty yeah. good in this movie. Yeah, I, it's just one of those things where I was like surprised that like everything I had seen her in the '80s was like decent, and um, just one of these like little forgotten actresses, actors, actresses. But um, you know, like was decent. Pretty much everything I saw her in, at least, you know, and I thought always could have been more. Somehow, like, just didn't go her way. Well, I'm glad we um, got to talk about uh, live and die in LA, so we could talk about. <laughs> right. Um, again, I again the eighties. I'm much more fascinated by like these smaller actors and these things than I am the bigger names, even like Stallone and um, Schwarzenegger and you know all that kind of stuff. Like I'm I'm fascinated by like these like smaller actors because those are the, the people I remember tend to remember even more than the major actors in a lot of these like action movies. Um, is those smaller people. Um. Okay, but yeah, this is a good movie. Um. All right, number three on your list is 1987's RoboCop. Um, it is directed by Paul Verhoeven. It stars Peter Weller, Nancy Allen, Ronnie Cox, Kurtwood Smith, and Miguel Ferrer. Uh, has a 90% from critics and an 84% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about this movie and uh, what you like about it? Yeah, I mean, it's RoboCop. So, right. Um, uh, Alex Murphy is a cop that's gunned down in the line of duty um, through, through the nefarious machinations of the OCP, um, the Omni Consumer Products uh, Corporation, who basically owns the majority of Detroit and owns the police force, is brought back as this uh, walking cyborg tank of justice, uh, RoboCop. Um, He's paired with uh, Annie Lewis, who's his former partner, and they fight crime, um, basically taking down um, Dick Jones, who's the nefarious, the unscrupulous head of OCP, the president, I guess, is what Dick Jones is. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, it's, I, I think everybody, I would imagine that most people listening to this podcast have seen RoboCop. I would be surprised by anyone who hasn't seen RoboCop. Right. Um, this is... Every one of these movies on this list is a nostalgia pick, like, in hindsight. Um, RoboCop maybe being, like, the biggest nostalgia pick for me. Um, I saw RoboCop when I wasn't supposed to see RoboCop as a kid uh, because generally considered one of the more violent movies of the 1980s, especially mm -hmm. at the um, Even though it's weird because, like, RoboCop was marketed to us as kids. I don't know if you oh. remember that. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. But there I, was, like, I had RoboCop toys, yeah. Toy line and shit. Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, I had RoboCop toys. Yeah. Um, and just, like, the look of them, and there was comic books, and, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's weird that, like, things that were so inappropriate or like consistently marketed to us when we were young. Right. Um, but just some really like iconic scenes in this movie, like the um, the shootout at the abandoned factory is pretty amazing. Um, 
just the look of Robocop himself, um, you know, the sleekness of the costume, um, the recessed holster in his thigh that he, like, pulls the gun out of, the way the cars look. Um, it's it's one of the better, I think, like, more realistic looks at a dystopian society where it's not beyond the pale of believability that the world could get to that point. Um, especially in terms of, like, if you look at how Detroit is today, like, in real life, you know, the uh, poverty and crime and kind of, like, destitution and you look at what's happened in a lot of major cities like you know take baltimore for instance which is close to us in terms of you know the gentrification of different areas and the fact that like you know these i mean obviously not like big multi-billion dollar conglomerates but like these businesses you know will buy parts of a city and change it to become something different than the city that it was just so they can control the whole thing and control who lives there and, um, you know, drive the people out that are originally from the area. So, yeah, but yeah. I mean, I don't know. I love RoboCop. Um, I've seen RoboCop, I don't know, probably 10 or 15 times at least. Um, there was a time where I used to watch RoboCop, like 10 or 15 times is a low exaggeration. Like it's probably like 20 or 30 times I've seen okay. RoboCop. Yeah. Um, there were times where I used to watch RoboCop on the weekends just to watch it. Um, and legitimately a good movie. Like, Verhoeven does a really good job directing this movie. Um, it's got a great score by uh, Basil Polidorus. Um, it's just a really well-made, well-crafted movie um, that has some really great visuals in it. It's a really amazing aesthetic. Um, the, uh, what is it, ED209, ED right? Is mm-hmm. the um the big walking tank like that's amazing looking? Yep, just a, a perfect combination of like like near future and perfect like sci-fi dystopia and action and I don't know, really good. And one of the funniest, this and Beverly Hills Cop are the two funniest um TV edits I've ever heard in my life in terms of like editing what's, out. What's the, the edit? What's the edit? Um, this one is oh man it's uh what's his name um the guy that played red on a kurtwood smith yeah yeah kurtwood smith says the original line is something like i'm gonna shove so much blow up your ass you'll be shitting snow for a week and it changes to i'm gonna cram so much snow in your nose you'll be sneezing snow for a, a week or something like that. It's just, it's it's a subtle change, but it's a completely different voice. <laughs> I don't know. Make me laugh so hard. Yeah. Because that was how I had it, because I had it taped off of television. So I had, like, the, the USA TV editor or whatever for a couple of years right. until I was able to afford the VHS, because this VHS was prohibitively expensive for a long time. Like This was like a $40... Because it was a Criterion number one. So you couldn't just like go buy it in the store on like a regular, you know, like at Ames for like $10. Mm-hmm. Like you had to get the Criterion version of it. And then those are fucking expensive and shit. And then those like, like, like where are you going to go buy a Criterion collection 
VHS tape around here, you know. So right. I had to go with my uh my TV edit, but yeah. And the Beverly Hills copying is hilarious too. I wish I could find I wonder if there's an archive that has that kind of stuff. Yeah, I don't know. There has to be something. Like I want to look into that because those yeah. are really, really funny. Like especially movies like Robocop that has so much foul language in it. Right. Um and like they wouldn't even attempt to get a voice actor that sounded, you know, like the guy doing um Kurtwood Smith's voice doesn't sound like Kurtwood Smith. Right, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so I I, I love Robocop. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching RoboCop again. I, I watched this and I watched the sequel just because it was giving a go off stars and I figure I'll probably never watch RoboCop 2 in my entire life ever again after this time. So um I, I just decided to watch it one night. But um yeah, this I think this still really holds up really well. Um our good friend Dave Kerr uh you know liked part of this and then hated another part of it and he really liked the comedy aspect of this. Like the, well, I'll buy that for a dollar. Well, <laughs> he he likes like the 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 takedown, um, of like kind of like the, the the jokes about like corporate structure and stuff like that, and like you know how over the top, you know, and cutthroat everything is. Um, and he it's liked that. He like he liked that critique, right? That critique of capitalism. Um, and it was the action stuff that he really disliked in a lot of ways of thinking it was way too over the top and that it just like ended up becoming kind of bland and checking off uh, boxes kind of as it like went through towards the end, um, which I get the complaint. But um, right. honestly, uh, yeah. I, 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 don't, I don't, that doesn't change my enjoyment of it, but I get what he's saying. Like, you know, um about it like if he if he if he didn't like that though jesus the second movie is like atrocious it is like a 35 minute battle with the thing at the end of that like it is the most obnoxious thing in the world don't you feel like all that's really tongue-in-cheek though in that movie like to me robocop 2 is almost like a comic yeah like it's not even meant like robocop while there is some tongue-in-cheek elements, RoboCop is meant to be taken seriously. I don't think RoboCop 2 is meant to be taken seriously. Right. Maybe I'm wrong. No, RoboCop 2 is really camp. I mean, um, but it's still just not good. Like, even as camp, it's not very good. Right, yeah, it's Um, not a good movie. This has some campy stuff in it at times, but it's it's not that much, and it is good camp, I think, when it happens. Um, Again, though, I want to, like... It's, I know it's a like pattern here, but it's like it's the it's the actors in these smaller roles, especially because Peter Weller's under a mask, like for most of the movie. It's the it's the people in OCP that stand out to me. Um, yeah, it's things I it's things I remember from my childhood. So um, Dan O'Hurley, he is the old man. Um, sticks out to me, Dick Jones, obviously, because Ronnie Cox is amazing. Like, right. he's really, like, underrated. Um, Kurtwood Smith is really good. Kurt, and then Kurt, Miguel Kurt is Clarence Boddicker. Yeah, Miguel Farrar, right. Um, yeah, Clarence Boddicker. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, like, those are the actual characters that stand out to me in this. And it's like, it is that kind of critique of the corporate, you know, structure and 
you know, all of those, you know, other things that kind of go along with it about greed and privatization and, you know, all those kind of things like that I really remember from my childhood so much. Um, and all those actors are like burned in my brain from a young age and watching it now, it's like, Jesus, do you realize like how many people like how these character actors go on to like, you know, Ronnie Cox is Ronnie Cox. Ronnie Cox is pervasive in the eighties. Like he's ubiquitous um, in like a lot of different roles. Um, what taps and Beverly Hills cop and you know, all these different things. Um, Kerwood Smith like goes on, like you were saying to play red, like, you know, I right. mean, like become really famous for that, but he's showing up all over the place in the eighties and nineties um, in these roles uh Miguel Farrar like you know um you know Ray Wise is in this and I don't know if you notice it's like there's three Twin Peaks actors that show up in Twin Peaks two years later which is um O'Hurlihy the old man is Andrew Packard um right. and then Ray Wise and Miguel Farrar obviously um so it's like three like actors at lunch ends up using for Twin Peaks like shows up in this um and it's like those are the people that stick out to me and the performances are just like right on like you know like they're like exactly right what they need to be like Farrar is exactly right the old man's exactly right um Clarence Boddicker is like you know campy and over the top but is exactly right um for the style of this movie oh yeah he's a perfect uh and then Dick Jones is like the biggest scumbag in the world like so can we talk about the fact that for the better part of like eight or nine years now, has it been that long? Maybe like eight years? About eight um, years, Sam. I was going to bring it up if you didn't. Yeah. Drunkenly, one night, I made a parody to this of the about Robocop mm -hmm. of the song um, Don't Stop Believing by Journey. Mm -hmm. um, that's a chronicle basically of the entirety of the Robocop movie to the point where like, most of our friends are very upset when Don't Stop Believing comes on the bar jukebox because they assume it means that somebody's going to sing um, Robocopin, which is the name of the parody of Don't Stop Believing. Which is usually me a lot of times towards the end. Yeah. Um, I love, I'm, I'm, I'm the only one that like still like I think loves Robocopin. I think that might be right. <laughs> I think I'm the only one left. It's a brilliant, it's a brilliant parody. Um, <laughs> and, and it all started because of what, East Detroit? Was that what it was? So, do you remember, uh, fuck, it wasn't called Quizly. It was um, some trivia app. Um, where you competed against somebody that you knew. Yes, right. Mm -hmm. Like, you would answer a series of 10 questions, they would answer it. Whoever answered them quickest with the most right, like, one. And we were playing against um, our friend Sean, and he had, was being pedantic about um, the fact that Quiz Up is that right? South Detroit, right, was being referenced, and I and I made the clip the quip of like, would you feel better if they were talking about Old Detroit? You know, with that because he was claiming there was no such thing as South Detroit. Um. And I can't remember what the line. He's just a top cyborg fighting crime in old Detroit. Right. Mm -hmm. The prime directive guides him everywhere. And then it's just like over the course of like 40 minutes, it just came from there, like drunkenly, like making up words. 
Peter Weller dead and stuff inside of Yes. Oh, <laughs> Maybe one the of best them. line. Yeah. Right. Um Oh no! It, it was the, could, it was because it, of don't duh, it was because of don't stop believing because he was bitching about don't stop believing right it says right. born and raised in South Detroit and he was like oh there's no South Detroit I've been to Detroit and then nobody called me Detroit. <laughs> right 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 and that's um, when I was making the point well like what if it yeah. was old Detroit would you feel better you can't walk upstairs going anywhere um you can't walk downstairs going anywhere go where downstairs right yeah he's just a war machine working for the OCP. Can't walk downstairs, go in anywhere. Um, damn it, what's the <laughs> Annie Lewis gets shot, but she'll be fine. Um, working hard to cleanse the street. Every scumbag's packing heat. Annie Lewis will get shot, but she'll be fine. Some will win, some will lose. We'll lose. Dick Jones going to get the blues. blues. When the prime directive ends, he gets shot. Shot and shot. shot, and shot. <laughs> Yeah, that's a good song. City. Yeah. And then at some point we'll have to like the day that we talk about um the Indiana Jones movies, which at this point I think we just probably should just talk about all the Indiana Jones movies like in one episode together. But um yeah, we'll have to talk about um Don't pull my heart out on me, Indy. Yes, right. Um what's the name of that what's the name of that band again? The real song? Don't pull your love, right? Don't pull your love out on me, baby. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Don't pull my heart out of me. Right, yeah. Um, so we'll have to talk about that song at some point. But yeah, yeah Robocop is a good song. Great parody. Um, it's really just Orion and uh, Aiden that hate it. Yeah. Friends of the podcast, my ass. <laughs> uh, okay. You have any final thoughts about Robocop? Now, just again, like it's a fantastic movie, really well done. So uh, after this, I'm probably I can probably be done with the podcast and never have to do it ever again. Um, so number two on your list is uh, 1986's Big Trouble in Little China, directed by John Carpenter. It stars Kurt Russell, Dennis Dunn, James Hong, Kim Cattrall, and Victor Wong. It has a 78% from critics on Rotten Tomatoes and 82% from audiences. You want to tell us a little bit about the movie and what it is that you like about it so much? Um, to your credit, I'm going to tell you that this almost was the number one movie on this list. Like, I really struggled with that. I just feel like the number one movie is a little more traditional action. Mm-hmm. Um, Chronicles an Adventure in the Life of the Mythical Jack Burton, uh, played by Kurt Russell, who's um, a truck driver. Uh, pilots the pork chop express like hauling freight across the country uh burton is visiting an old friend of his in chinatown where they're playing um i don't know what that game is called it's like some betting version of mahjong um and ends up getting wrapped up in a giant conspiracy of ancient proportions um with the living embodiment Chinese, of Chinese a, black magic. Right, Chinese black magic, like a living embodiment of a Chinese deity that was basically tricked into giving up his corporal form and living forever. Um, he's attended by like three mystical martial arts immortals that are just sort of like embodiments of the elements, like whatever, it's storm and lightning and whatever. 
and rain here. Rain, right. Um, Burton is almost a parody of the typical, like, 1980s, you know, badass. And not even a parody, like a tongue-in-cheek homage or, like, a loving homage. I don't know, but... Just a guy who's like hyper self-aware, but also completely unaware of himself. Um, who gets by mostly on like guile and luck and well, luck's a lot of it, yeah. But also a measure of just like bravado and, mm-hmm. and there's basically like this ancient Chinese demon wizard is going to achieve this ultimate power, like, of becoming human again and basically gaining all this power by marrying and sacrificing a girl with green eyes um, and Burton and his friends rescue the girls with green eyes, um, one of whom ends up being two, one of whom is played by uh, Kim Cattrall um, in an early role. Um, but it's just, it's incredibly fun. Um, it's almost undefinable in terms of like its genre like if i really had to like come up with a genre for it i would say that it is a swashbuckling mystical martial arts adventure mm-hmm. um pretty good which again like so th- th- this is the movie that actually made me start really thinking about like is the action category too broad because to me, like, I would put Big Trouble in the same category as, like, Goonies or Princess Bride. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, it, there's enough of, I mean, aside from him going in and out of San Francisco, there's no real connection to the real world in this movie. Right. Like, well, it's actually, I mean, it's bookended by him coming in and going out, too. It's almost like right. it is, like, this thing that's set up, set in its own world. Yeah. And it 100% feels like its own world, and it really is, you know, like, presented in that way. And including the fact that most of it's filmed on sets, you know, backlots or whatever. Like, there's very little that's actually filmed in what appears to be the city streets. Um, But Kurt Russell, I don't know if you can call Kurt Russell underrated, but he's definitely one of the best leading men of the 80s that I don't think people think of quickly enough when they're thinking of like leading men of the eighties. Um, always has that boyish charm, you know, kind of like a living Hans embodiment of like what Han Solo is like that roguish good guy that still has enough potential to be like the bad boy in him, but is always going to kind of do the right thing. And, you know, handsome in kind of a rugged sort of way and muscular and, like, fit, but not super fit. Like, you can tell that he, like, drinks and, like, overeats. I mean, the opening scene, like, one of the better, funnier monologues, I think, in, like, most movies from the 1980s is he's, like, just sort of dropping his Bon Mots over um, CB radio and he's eating, like, a giant friggin' 
what would you say, like Italian hoagie or something? Oh yeah, it's a yeah, it's a it's a giant ass hoagie. Yeah, but he's just like with one ha- one handing it like into his fucking mouth while he has the seat while he's driving the truck and has like the CB, the CB like, radio right. like in his hand like while and talking while he's like chill like half chewing like yeah. When a giant, what is it? When a giant psycho? Oh, I know. Picks you, know, picks I you know. up by the neck and looks you, you cross eyed You listen. You just listen to the old Pork Chop Express and take his advice on a dark and stormy night. When a some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against the barroom wall, looks you crooked in the eye, and asks you if you paid your dues, you look that big sucker right back in the eye and you tell him what Jack Burton always says at a time like that: "Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir. The check is in the mail." Right. Um, I've memorized since I was seven years old. The perfect encapsulation of this guy as a character, too. Like, it's just, mm-hmm. it's really funny, but it's also completely believable. Just from the perspective of being like, that's just who this guy is. Yeah. So it's incredibly charming. It's it's a little badass, but also a little goofy. But, you know, I don't know. It's just... <laughs> right. Right. It's just really great. It's a great character. All the characters in this movie, you know, um Aang Shen and Wang and um Grace Law and like all of them. Just, yeah, everybody. Like really Uncle good Ch- characters. Uncle Chu, like Eddie, like Low Lopan. Lopan, oh my the, god. The three James, um, James James Wong as Lopan is one of the greatest things ever. Like Old Lopan, like mystical Lopan, like like that dude is so damn funny in this movie, and it, and it's it not often talked about his his comedic like stylings in this movie, but he is so fucking funny. It's true, and the the, the comedic timing of of that character, especially to your point where he's playing like this decrepit wheelchair ridden like shell like husk of a man and then speaking all slow and kind of acting like I don't know almost unaware and then all of a sudden like drops like this perfect whip or I don't know. It's just, it's... There, there's a part where he's where Jack Burns like complaining when they haven't taught him and him and Wang uh Wang Chi like tied up. Um and it's like old man like Dave Lopan and like fucking Jack Burton says, I don't get this at all. Like I thought Lopan and <laughs> Lopan says, shut up, Mr. Burton. You were not put on this world to get it. <laughs> and it's like, it kills me every single time. <laughs> Cause here's like Jack Burton just being this voice. He's like in the presence of like a guy that's basically like some sort of former warrior like God. god. Right, a warrior right. God. And it's like he's like just complaining, like, like I don't get this at all. Like, you know, it's like not knowing what he's talking about. Like, you know, at least he's being honest about it at this point. But he doesn't know what the hell is going on. He doesn't know what he's talking about. And like, uh, James Wong is so perfect in this. Um, that the shit where he's like low pan when he's been turned human at the end, like the stuff with him and Egg Chen, when right. basically like they play a video game. Yeah, that, like, that, that's kind of how it's like set up. Yeah, especially with Lopan because he's like using almost like his like thumbs like to like almost like move Press his buttons, character. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. Um, like this movie predates video games by a couple years, right? What year is this movie? 
86. Oh, I guess it's right at that time. Yeah. 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 I was feeling Big Trouble is much earlier in the 80s than it actually is. But so this movie is like my favorite, like movie of the 80s, probably. Like it's just in terms of being my favorite. Like I was obsessed with this movie. I've seen this movie at least like a hundred times in my life, like because I watched it so much as a kid. Like I have pretty much every single piece of like dialogue like memorized to some degree. Like especially if it's in context in front of me, I know what's going to be said. Um, like I made a wife beater like Jack Burton wears, and like my mom got me stuff to like try to draw the Buddha and the sun like on it and stuff like that. Um, so I was obsessed with this movie and um, like, obviously I have like the, you know, have you paid your due speech like memorized cause I used to recite it as a kid. Um, and this is something that like I watch probably like once a year, like usually like it, it doesn't often go beyond that that I end up watching this. Um, certainly when it's free, anytime I end up watching it. And a lot of it does though, it's like Jack Burden thinks he's John Wayne um and he's the furthest thing from john wayne that you'll ever get other than the other than the swagger like um the thing that i know O always cracks up at that like O loves is when they're in the in gracie law's apartment and he's leaving and he says if we're not back by dawn call the president And he's serious. He's not joking around. Like, it's like he's just trying to sound like a badass because that's what he thinks a badass would sound like. Um, <laughs> um, but it's like there's so many great things in this. Um, my favorite line in ever, which is, um, which is again, Jack Byrne trying to sound like he's a badass when, like, it's just the most ineffectual thing in the world which is he has a his big knife like taken out and like they're like trying to find like some kind of exit out of a room and there's like this wall there and he's like is it hollow fuck it and then slices it (laughs) um so so much good stuff in this movie and then like everyone is super into the fact that he like they're all like yeah like the um Shang Chen or whatever the name of like the good gang of karate fighters is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, the um yeah, and then but the ending, like I like that's the thing, like is like as as fucking incompetent as Jack Burton is mostly at most times, and he's kind of a scumbag too. Like that's the other thing about Jack Burton. He's kind of a scumbag. Like when they're like escaping through the water and stuff like that, and he's like, you know, can you can you st- he's just such a dick can you stop rubbing up against me i can't concentrate when you keep doing that <laughs> it's like I don't don't you think that's his way of like flirting with her though it it absolutely is but he just can't be honest about anything so he has to like make this bigger deal out of it and like sound tough as he's like trying to like flirt with her he's um but when he like comes in that room at the end, when it's uh, oh, which one is that? That's Thunder, right? Yeah, Thunder, um, the one that can expand his body, right? And he comes into like the throne room, and um, God, what is it? Not so fast, gentlemen. 
we got enough people dropping like flies around here. Where's that getting us, huh? Nowhere. Fast. You know what old Jack Burton always says at a time like this? And Thunder says, who? <laughs> and he gets all indignant. He says, Jack Burton. Me. me. <laughs> right. And his only response is, old Jack always says, what the hell? He right. has that damn lipstick all over his fucking mouth from like where he's kissed him to fall. It is absurd. But then it's like the, the climax of that movie is that he actually is a fucking badass when push comes to shove is he's a fucking fool the entire movie and then when Lopan sits there and throws that knife at back at him it's like goodbye mr burden and like fucking jack catches the knife in midair and throws it back throws immediately it Lopan's forehead right yes oh it's on the reflexes chris yep it's on the reflexes brilliant, brilliant. Burton will tell you. yeah brilliant movie yeah, even though like I down like I underplayed this movie a lot, like it really is a fantastic movie. And I mean, I think we've talked enough about how much I love John Carpenter on this podcast. Yeah. Um, yeah, because we did the score. The, you're you're more you're you're better at music than I am, but it's like the damn score in this movie is fantastic. Yeah, and that's him. That's Carpenter. Yeah, right. <clears throat> no, the score is really good. It's another thing that's like very '80s about this movie, and this is a movie where I feel like. There's things about it that could exist in multiple time periods. Um, but just the look of Jack Burton, I don't know. I, I don't know that they could get away with some of the stuff they do. Not that there's anything racist about it from the perspective of like the Asians, but it's very... The Chinese characters in this movie are, I don't know. Very stereotypical Chinese, I think, in some ways. Except for those... Den- except for Dennis Dunn's character, and I think that's the saving grace of it because it would be. Except for Wang Chi, Wang Chi is completely like in both worlds, and like can take the he can take the outsider's perspective because he understands why Jack thinks it's all ridiculous, right? And it's like I think Wang Chi's the thing that bridges it from being. A potentially racist portrayal is because Wang Chi is of both worlds and I think like is you know his guide obviously is like the, the yeah. role he plays but it's like at the same time like he's like very just kind of you know a normal dude and he just happens to know about all this ancient stuff that's part of his culture and understands that white people think it's ridiculous but it's and also real. At the same time Jack Burton doesn't dismiss anything that's happening because like there's nothing racist about jack burton no no like where when you're watching something like i don't know like 48 hours or whatever you know very dismissive or even something like um eddie murphy and the golden child like he's Mm -hmm. incredibly dismissive of you know this mystical like tibetan culture yeah, but Jack Burton, you know, yeah. he buys into it. Believes. He does. He, he's dismissive of certain elements at times, but he's not dismissive of the narrative. He's right. just dismissive of what's in the bag, egg. Like you know, yeah, okay, six demon bag. <laughs> you know, it's like those kind of things he says. Right, you know, he's dismissive. Like, this low pain egg. that I drove over through. <laughs> yeah. Egg, is that a magic potion? Yes. <laughs> Am I going to drink it? Yes. <laughs> All right. right. Let's right. go. Right. 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 It it's the same good. kind of right. Same kind of attitude, you know. It's, right. Is yeah. it hollow? Fuck it. 
<laughs> but, but a really yeah, fun movie and definitely like I mean if you've never seen Big Trouble you should probably watch it yeah yeah it's a great movie really shook the pillars of heaven didn't we Wang yeah we did mm-hmm. we did that right. <laughs> that's good um okay number one on your list is um Ted Kochev's 1982 movie First Blood stars Sylvester Stallone, Richard Crenna, Brian Dennehy, and a young David Crusoe. It has an 85% from critics and 85% from audiences. You want to just tell us a little bit about this movie and why it's number one? Um. So what I basically what I consider to be like one of the the template movies for the 1980s, just in terms of like action and thematically like the idea of the the war hero who's kind of been wronged by society or you know whatever like it's it's really just kind of a riff on walking tall in a lot of ways but you know from the perspective of the vietnam vet who's come back and has kind of been spit on by his country and the only thing that he had was his friends and now all his friends are dead and He's getting all this grief from law enforcement. Um, Stallone plays John Rambo. Um, what I would call probably maybe next to John McClane and some other, uh, and I don't even know who else. Probably like next to John or alongside John McClane, the most iconic action character of the 1980s. Yeah. Um, John Rambo is a former Vietnam, is a Vietnam veteran. Uh, Green, Green Beret specialist who just kind of wants to live a quiet life. Um, Brian Dennehy's uh, sheriff in this small Oregon town harasses him. They eventually book him for vagrancy and are abusing him and threatening to shave his head. And he kind of snaps and breaks out of prison. And then it becomes a um, cat and mouse standoff in the the Oregon woods between Rambo and um these like the police and then the national guard and state police um and eventually rambo ends up killing brian dennehy in a fight atop um this police station in this town um and it's again it's like very what would become i guess commonplace in these movies for this time period which is the idea of like societies turn their back on these people or this person and this person's really just a good guy who's trying to do the right thing but these corrupt people politicians law enforcement agents won't let them do it so you know they have to take matters into their own hands i mean commando has not really the same theme but similar idea in the sense that he's you know a special forces guy who just wants to be left alone and he's drawn back into life Mm -hmm. Um, but this is not tongue in cheek at all. I mean, this is played very, very straight. Um, and one of the more uncomfortable scenes in any of these movies at the end where Rambo's just talking about how, you know, he watched his friend get blown up on him by like a makeshift bomb and a shoeshine boy stand. Mm -hmm. And he had to try and put his friend back together because all of his parts were all over his body. Couldn't Mm -hmm. do it. for seven years he's been living with that memory and he can't get it out of his head and like what's he supposed to do um 
sort of strips a lot of the emotional resonance away from that in the later Rambo movies when he's just basically a killing machine, um, especially Rambo 3. Um, sort of brings it more back in the fourth Rambo movie, which is, right. for this one, my favorite. Um, from like a, a pure filmmaking standpoint. Yeah. Um, this movie reminds me a lot of, again, it's very 80s in the feel. It reminds me of stuff like, this is going to sound really weird because it's not like this at all, but it reminds me a lot of Goonies in the way of like, and probably because of the setting, you know, like that Washington State, Oregon, mm-hmm. like coastline, mm-hmm. like up in the mountains or whatever, but I don't know. Just a really great performance by Stallone. Um, some really badass moments, um, especially when he's escaping this um, cadre of police officers through the woods yeah. and kind of doubles back on him. Some of them, but doesn't kill any of them because he's not going to be in the room. Reminds me of um, in a Watchmen, mm-hmm. um, the we're not with like Warshark, where he's not trapped in here with us. We're trapped in here with him. It's like that same idea, um, where Troutman comes and says, you know, it's basically he's like failing his mission to not kill you because he should have lived through his training, just like murdered all of you. Um, right. But yeah, I don't know. Really badass. I love the Rambo movies. Um, I like that. This is my favorite movie in terms of like the filmmaking, the cinematography, the performances. Emotionally, First Blood Part Two is probably the more, the one dearest to my heart, but it's objectively not that good of a movie. So, right. That's why this one's on the list. Yeah. I was, I was actually a little surprised when you said this and it wasn't Rambo. First Bill Clark too, because I've heard you like talk fondly about that movie. Um before I've also heard you talk fondly about this, but I, I just have heard you like speak more fondly about that. Um but yeah, I have not watched this movie probably since I would estimate like 1987, 1988, something like oh. that. Like it's been that long since I've seen this. Um I I have seen part two more. Um like during that time period than this i've probably seen this like two or three times before rewatching it again and um i really thought this movie held up to today like and, and it's like in terms of like it's being dated out of all these movies i thought this was the one that like actually holds up as a classic and you were saying before we started the podcast it's like it felt like it's filmed in the 70s and I was sitting there and saying, like, it feels like it could have been made in the past 10 years if you kind of changed the styles of people and stuff like that. Right, right, right. Like, and it's like, I think it's that's because it's timeless. Like, you know, and I know it's very dated in the sense of what it's reacting to in terms of the way Vietnam vets were treated and, you know, all those kind of things. But it's like, I think it's a timeless story. And, um, and it feels timeless in some ways because it's such a small story, even though it's so kind of, there's so much violence and there's so much, you know, you know, it, it's, it's this very big story in this very small setting. And because of that, I think it's kind of isolated and it can have that kind of classic feel to it. And um, yeah, I was really impressed with the way this was done, watching it all these years later um, and knowing 
a lot more than I did when I was seven years old about Vietnam and, you know, and, and the reaction to soldiers coming home and all those kind of things. And I was really impressed, not that I didn't figure this out at some point in my life remembering this movie, but like <clears throat> how much this really like kind of goes into PTSD um, and, and the reactions, you know, and people that have PTSD and like what that really, like what this movie does for people that suffer from those, you know, that kind of trauma, sure. um, you know, and I, um, but yeah, I, I thought it was a really solid movie. Um, I thought Dennehy did a really good job of portraying a dude that is almost like stereotypical in his villainy, um, but making him just human enough to where you can kind of understand where he's coming well, from. Because sure, he's he's a dude that his whole the whole if effectiveness of his job relies on people believing that he has the power to enforce the law and he can't be seen as somebody that takes a step back from being the guy to enforce the law like it's right. the ultimate like he's in the ultimate catch-22 yeah just because of his own ego or whatever but right. yeah it's a really good portrayal there's um oh man i can't remember his name the guy that plays a uh, galt like his second in um second in command that mm -hmm. ends up being like really sadistic. Um Jack Starrett, who's a great okay. character actor, like to your point. Um Bill McKenney as Dave Kern, uh, another really great and like easily recognizable character actor. And then like you said, you know, Caruso playing um Yeah, and then Chris like Malky, the young... Chris Malky's in it too, um, who ends up being like in like fucking 60 movies or something throughout his life and right. is also in uh twin peaks yeah yeah deputy ward but yeah like there's just some really um really great performances some really entertaining uh action set pieces and i don't think that any of the action is ever done for gratuitous um reasons in the same way that it is in like something like robocop or uh commando where the action can be gratuitous right um i think that i think that stallone in this movie was trying to tell like in writing the movie like you know in the same way they did with rocky like the story of people that he feels maybe their stories aren't quite heard as much or whatever but yeah. um yeah that's yeah, a, that's, really... a, that's, a, that's my last on the movie i think uh, if i didn't mention is that it felt realistic like yeah. as much as it could like and it's, it's backing up i think what you're saying is like it felt it wasn't over the, like obviously it's over the top like you know i don't know if these things could actually happen but it's like it still felt realistic compared to a lot of movies of the 80s in terms of their action and right. i and, and i thought that like you know it felt very grounded like this is like somebody could actually know and i think it took great pains to show how he could figure these things out at times through kind of like you know just understanding those environments and using logic to sure. and and it was like actually try to show how this guy could actually exist and do these things um right, right. And, and i appreciated that like you know like compared to like you know a lot of these other movies of the 80s where it's just like oh there's badasses like 
Well, it's like something like My Side of the Mountain or whatever, where, mm. you know, where the guy that is trained in these survival techniques is, you know, like loose in the woods and kind of in his element. Yeah, bad examples of this, but movies that do something similar is Quickly Down Under um, and uh, Crocodile Dundee. Mm, yeah. Um, they they take pains to kind of show you like how logically like this person could know these things or like be able to intuit these things. No, either are bad examples. Those are good examples. Yeah, so, that, examples that are not up to the par of I think this movie. But, um, right. Yeah, I really enjoyed watching this movie again. Um, I did too. I've I've seen this movie maybe seven or eight times in my life. Like, I really enjoyed the Rambo series. Um, and just from a nostalgia perspective, I like to go back and revisit it. Especially when the fourth movie came out, and then again when um, Last Blood came out uh, a couple of years ago or last year, whenever that was. Yeah, uh, I didn't I didn't watch Last Blood because you said it told me not to. Yeah, it's... I mean, it's something I had to watch because, like, I'm not going to not whatever watch a new rambo movie but mm -hmm. i don't understand the purpose of it like i 100 feel like the events of um rambo the fourth movie are enough to end the arc of that character in a meaningful way like i don't well, really well they purposely that. did that though like this film begins with him hitchhiking basically or just walking down the road and that movie, Rambo, ends with him back in America at this point with his duffel bag basically walking down the road again. And it's like he's finally ready to return home now. Right. You know, after all these years. And it's like, I think it's the perfect book then to the first movie and that fourth movie. Like, uh, much like he did with Rocky, you know, or right. what was, no, Balboa, right? Yeah, Balboa. Yeah, Balboa. I, I, I think Balboa served maybe not as well, but a similar function in terms of kind of bookending the original movie. Um, I thought Rambo did a fantastic job of doing that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And so they're the two strongest in the series, too, which I think is yeah, an important part but of that's it. Why, that's why I didn't watch... What's it called again? Last Blood. Last Blood. Um, that's why I didn't watch it is and I just took your recommendation on it because it was like it felt like it was such a perfect ending in Rambo when we saw it in the theater that I didn't really if it wasn't worth watching, I don't want to watch it. Like I'd rather just um Yeah. You're not missing much. Yeah. I'd rather just end on that image of him going back home again and giving it a try and have that be the character arc. Honestly, with Last Blood, aside from two like 20 minute action sequences like it's not even all that interesting i mean it really feels like a plot line from like sicario sicario or mm. i don't know um any number of like maybe the shield like certain elements of the shield like it's just but not as good as either of those things yeah i don't know i think it was a not so subtly veiled political message at the time that it was made and released right. um, and it kind of falls flat in that respect too so because um, it doesn't have the courage of his convictions to just be completely shitty and xenophobic mm. 
So it's got to like retcon some Hispanic heritage for John Rambo kind of thing. Uh, uh, um, uh, mm. Yeah, it's 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 there's a lot of like really mm. questionable things about that movie, and I've seen people defend it by saying like, well, it's a Rambo movie, so you're just supposed to kind of turn off your mind. But like, that's not what those movies are about. No, really, like Stallone is definitely making statements. I mean, maybe not in like. Especially not in the third one. The third one's just completely just like dumb cash in. Oh, that was the most like, you know, pro Reagan, yay America, like let's cash this shit in and have Rambo kill Afghans, like the whole movie. Like, yeah. You would think that John Milius wrote it. (laughs) Are you making that joke because he did or because it's. Did he? Oh, I don't know. I have had that. I was one. That's why I was asking. It didn't. Um, I don't know. I don't I'm, 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 I'm going to look up and see who wrote this bitch now because uh, written by Sylvester Stallone and Sheldon Lettich, best known for his collaborations with Jean Claude Van Damme. Oh, he wrote Bloodsport. Um, no, he did not. Uh, Milius had nothing to do with it. No, I thought you actually knew something. <laughs> no, uh-uh. it okay. just seems like it, it seems like Milius is that. No, much. absolutely, it does. I thought that like you were just the way that you said it. I, I thought for a second that Milius was writing it. Um. So real quick, last thing I want to say about this movie is, and because I didn't know this, um, is did you know? Oh damn, I lost it. I'm sorry. Um, that initially, um, Kirk Douglas was given, like, he, he actually, like, took the role of Troutman, and, Hmm. um, he ended up quitting, like, very early on in shooting because of a script dispute, because he wanted the book ending to happen, um, where um, the sheriff and Rambo like basically shoot each other and are dying, and Troutman kills Rambo and goes and spends like the sheriff's few remaining moments in sitting with him. Um, and Douglas quit over the fact that they wouldn't keep the original ending and wanted to change it. Um, but yeah, we almost had Kirk Douglas as Troutman, um, which is an interesting like what if type thing yeah but what would it have mattered because at that point if you're not doing sequels like to me like i i think that um what's his name richard krenna right is that who plays Mm -hmm. troutman yeah um i think that he does a really good job in this movie Mm -hmm. but to me troutman is troutman because of first blood part two you know what i mean right i agree i agree yep Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. like otherwise he's just a character right so, I mean, if Kirk Douglas gets his way, you don't have a sequel. That's right. Yeah. No, it's, so, it's, that's I what know. I'm saying. It's very interesting. Like, what if, like, you know, the whole yeah. thing. It also shows a very, like, uh, specific time and political power, I think, in Hollywood. Is that because Stallone wanted the new ending um for whatever reason like because he didn't like the book's ending or because he was thinking sequels i don't know but it's like stallone wanted the ending that they got um and 
it shows you the the changing power i think structure in hollywood at that time is that right. sylvester stallone in what 1982 is right yeah wins out over kirk douglas you know this like icon of you know film at this point <clears throat> My assumption would be that Stallone probably wanted to allow some sympathy for this character. Right. Like, not take all the humanity away from him by murdering him in the end. Sure. Um, yeah. Which makes sense. I mean, I think that that's a better ending than the book. Right. <clears throat> yeah. Um, yeah, but I just thought that was interesting. And they, um, they had also approached um, Gene Hackman and Robert Duvall for the Brian Dennehy role. Um, oh, they both would have been uh, Hackman better than Duvall. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, because I've realized I, now Hackman can do anything. But um, yeah, I mean Hackman would have been perfect. Duvall, sure. I don't know, could have done it. Dennehy, I think, is better than Duvall. Yes, Dennehy has that like that perfect balance of completely scared shitless but so egotistical that he won't mm -hmm. admit that he's scared shitless mm -hmm. and it like masks itself as bravado like there's a lot of nuance in that Dennehy performance but yeah and here's the thing is like i think Dennehy can do this good old boy thing to perfection right um where i think hackman could have played the role where it's like he's the good old boy done well so he can keep himself a little bit above everybody else, but still right. be the king of that good old boy system, where I don't well, think yeah. Robert Duvall is a good old boy. I mean, the Hackney character would have been his character in um, Unforgiven, basically. Like, right. that's what you would have been looking at. Yeah. As opposed to Dennehy, who's a guy who initially really feels like he's just trying to do the right thing, and it, like, as it continuously spirals out of control, like beyond his control like he you know that that's one of the best scenes in the movie really is that conversation he has with Troutman in the bar where he's like there was a part of me that just wanted to murder him you know I just wanted to kill him and Troutman you know is like well you know how do you live with yourself after feeling like that like basically trying to humanize himself and Rambo at that point um but then he doesn't get it because you know right the sheriff's an asshole but yeah it's just um it's it, it's a great movie yeah oddly I, um i think kind of like a forgotten movie of the 1980s too yeah yeah I, mostly because i think most people just think of rambo as being like an all-out like 100 right. first they think first well part two yeah mm -hmm. yeah it overshadows the this 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 movie which is actually a really thoughtful thought-provoking grounded movie um you know that still was action oriented and pretty badass but like it it overshadows this movie yeah yeah which is unfortunate so i mean in some ways despite my adoration of uh big trouble Let me like, say I, this I, too. i'm glad i i assume this was number one for you i understand go. why you have to say first blood part two mm -hmm. but that title makes no sense no like the whole first blood thing, I mean, that's a really powerful scene too. Sure. You right. Know, yeah. They drew first blood, Colonel. They drew first blood. Like that's like he can't help himself at that point. Like he has to fight them because they attacked him first. But then it's like first blood part two. So it's not really first blood anymore. Just call it Rambo. I think people would know. Right. Right. 
I, as an admission, like I saw Rambo first blood part two before I saw first blood, probably by like five years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe not that much, probably by like two years. I had no idea first blood existed when Rambo came out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See my, my parents, I remember like, I don't No, I shouldn't say that. I remember my parents watching this movie at a very young age. Like, I think renting a VHS player from the video store, top loader, like remember my parents and me, like me being in the room while they watched this movie. Like right. I think, I, but I didn't like understand. I was still too young at that point to like even understand what was happening. Like, so I was probably like six or seven before, like I probably understood, like watched this movie and understood kind of like what was happening in it. But um. <laughs> The funny thing is, this is another really adult movie that was marketed to us as children as toys. Oh, certainly First Blood Part 2 was, yeah, because I had all those Rambo toys, too. Oh, yeah, the fucking Savage or whatever they were mm -hmm. called. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I actually Sergeant. had my, I was really into the Rambo, because uh, there was a cartoon, remember? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, and like, because that's where the toys came from, was that cartoon, which was like yep. 87, 88, and I actually had the, I was so into it, like, for Christmas, I got the, the the watchtower, like that whole set. Dude, that thing is so expensive now. Really, mm -hmm. it's mm -hmm. the Savage Strike Tower, is what it's called. Yeah, that's yeah, that's I, I had that. Yeah, that's a secret podcast that I could do that we'll <laughs> never do, which is the Frank's like boy knowledge podcast. Mm. Um, I well, I just had. Um, I think we're probably done here. So it's like yeah, yeah. I had I had two two ideas and only one i can remember but one is i think next year is based off of the thing with like talking about dennehy and hackman and all that kind of stuff i think we need to do like a top five what ifs hmm. scenario or a episode where i like we come up with like what ifs and just kind of discuss like a series of what ifs like of like things that really radically changed like movie history um in some ways because i think like breaking down who could have done things better or not better and all those kind of things is actually a really interesting discussion i think that's one where you just have to ask me about them like i'd rather yeah. not even know what you're going right. to ask going into okay. it okay so i can just react to it um because then... i don't really as much as i love watching movies like i don't read a lot about that kind of stuff usually like i don't really care not to say I don't care, but it's not like my primary focus, like looking into that kind of stuff. Like I just like to enjoy the movies. Right. So a lot of times, like I don't even know any of that shit. Yeah. And then I think it was either last night I had the idea. There was somebody that we were talking about in like a small, somebody had like a, oh, I know what it is. It's the podcast that we have coming up in two weeks, the third man podcast. I was thinking, like, how easy would it be to get the movie that you your pick, the main actor on it? Like, I thought, right. like, could we get that actor for, like, at his age now for 15 minutes to talk about that role specifically that, like, everybody's forgotten? You like, he did? No. I don't really? think he is. I don't think he is, no. I'm gonna be really sad if that's the case, but um Oh, I guess he was just in that one movie where he died or something? No, no, no. Remember um Marriage yeah. Story. Oh right, yeah, yeah. 
He's 84, yeah. But um, yeah, he's alive. But it's like, like if I like reached out, could I get him for 15 minutes to talk to us about just that role? Which in his age right now, who's ever going to like want to talk to him about that fucking role ever again in his entire life? I bet he do. Does he remember it, do you think? Sure. He only has five fucking movies, like, to his credit before he blows up, like, in that series. So, and that's the one right before that series blows up. Right, you're right. I love that movie. I don't know. It'd be nice to say. It'd be pretty cool if you could get him to talk about it. Be, I, yeah, it's like, I'm starting, but here, my idea was, I'm starting to think. We just, like, fucking shot our shot and, like, reached out to, like, especially, like, fucking old people. And especially right now in COVID. I wonder if we couldn't like get um get somebody like that on here. Yeah. I mean, I'm always like putting some shit on the list that nobody knows know, except for you. Yeah. Like like deep cuts from somebody's filmography. So right, right. Um. So yeah, I I I think I, I need to put a little bit more thought into it. But I I think uh, I think I need to try that. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. And if you're listening to this from three years from now, because this has been successful, this is the moment where this podcast became successful. I look at it as successful now, but thanks for, um, thanks for shitting on my, my feelings, I guess. (laughs) Oh, you just, but the, but not the quick cage, right? Because that's the, the the Uh, fake, this is the real podcast, right? Yeah. I mean, I guess the quick gauge is whatever. Fine. It's just so hard, man. I watched it. The Nick Cage movie we're going to talk about this week was very difficult for me to get through. So, I don't know. You oscillate with the Nick Cage podcast, though. Like, the quick cage is like sometimes a thing where it's like so some... good. Right. Yeah. But sometimes it's just so bad. Yeah, you like, have so many more to get through, too. Oh, my God. I know, man. I was looking at them. Like I watched this movie and I thought I have to at least be like, like the re- it has to be downhill from here because it was not good and it's not true. It's it's there's a lot of uphill. Right. All right. So speaking of that, every week we do the quick cage, um, just to kind of cross promote at our like you know the two hour and ten minute mark or some shit, um, <laughs> which I should be doing at the beginning. Um, but when we get when we get him, you know, where everything's going to pick up, I'm going to start yeah. cross promoting at the beginning. Um, we do the quick cage every week. For the rest of this month, we have 1940s comedies coming up next week, which is another pretty big category, just like uh, 80s uh, action. And then we have the week after that, we will be um, doing a third man episode with screenwriter and actor Jimmy Custis um, around the idea of. Uh, body swap movies um, yeah. where he and Frank will pick their favorite body swap movie and then starting at the end of the month we will begin with the year 1970 and through December we will be tackling 1970, 1980, 1990 and 2000 and Frank will be picking his top five movies out of those years um, which is crazy that we're going to like 1970 now 10 years before I was born is now 50 years ago um which is just crazy Only um, seven years before i was born buddy right um but yeah 
but yeah, <clears throat> like it's uh, so yeah. So I mean, those are going to be inter- those are really interesting lists. Last year, um, I was I was just thinking today because I'm tomorrow I'm probably going to watch one of the movies from 1970, and I was thinking about one of the Japanese movies you had from 1969 last year, Boy, um, that mm. I enjoyed so much, and um, uh. Yeah, so I'm always excited about those lists personally because Frank has a lot of like move. That's where you really, I think, get to see the full extent of Frank's movie knowledge. A lot of times is when you get to kind of go to these years and you see like the extent of his foreign movie knowledge in terms of all these different countries and their film. Um, so uh, those are always like really good lists. Making um, me blush. And then, um, and then yeah, we uh, we have. Uh, Possibly one idea for a special episode at the end of the year, and we'll see how that goes. Um, but uh, if not, then I have another idea that I'll force on Frank. <clears throat> but it's fine. Um, but that's what we have planned for the rest of the year, and then we have probably about a third of the year planned out for uh, 2021 already. Um, Frank and I, unfortunately, will not be at the bar making the list this year for the entire year, but um. We'll have to sit down one time and figure like, it out. I'm okay with that. Yeah. Yeah, I ain't missing nothing. <laughs> All right, cool. All right. All Good right, talk. Well. Good list. It was enjoyable to watch these movies. Yeah. Do you, have yeah. To, do you have to go to the bathroom? No, I'm good. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for listening, everybody. I really, I really just want to go smoke. I'm not going to lie. Like, oh, gotcha. It's, it's okay. driving me nuts right now. So Yeah. Uh, you, even did, you even did the Italian hand motion right there, like, in terms of... Driving like, me nuts. Uh, <laughs> All right. Thank you for listening, everybody. Have a good night. We're going to let go smoke. Yep. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>